Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. Well, well, well. The famous Shane Moore, Tokyo Rose of the Trailer Park. It's good to have you back, Shane. We have another week without Nigel. He'll be back uh, the next episode, but it's good having you on. And uh, Shane, we just uh, went to the room out to uh, Central Cinema, and we had a good time. I don't know if anyone's familiar with the room. Luke, why don't you give us a quick breakdown of what the room is? Yeah, so it's a cult classic by the visionary Tommy Wiseau. Uh, If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Furthermore, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you watch that and The Disaster Artist, because that might provide some context for you. But basically, it is, by many people's account, the worst movie ever made. Although, I could go on a little tangent here, is that uh, I think there's a different movie that stands up for a worst movie that's ever been made, and that's uh, Battlefield Earth with John Travolta. But we're not here to talk about that movie. We can make a separate podcast about that. But, yeah, it's basically, you know, low-budget... I won't call it a film. It's a low-budget project. That, that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's you, you have to see it to understand it. Yeah. But it's definitely a movie that I think is best best viewed the way that we saw it last night, which is in a theater with a bunch of people who understand how... The movie is like you if you just watch it by yourself you're not gonna enjoy it at all and so uh i think everyone here has seen it a few times because we understand it's cult classic gravitas but going to the movie theater seeing it with a bunch of people who all respect it for what it is um yeah it was a really good time i'll let shane pick up on that yeah i'm uh i'm happy to be back tan thanks for that buddy i'm saddled in and i just jock jockstrap once again and um it was if you haven't seen the room it's worth watching at least once but you definitely need to go back and see it multiple times and that's what tommy said 100 percent. and uh to to totally understand the movie you may even need to see it a dozen times because i'm i'm probably a good dozen times into this movie and I gotta say, I think my third eye opened up a little bit here, and uh, I'm seeing the movie for what it really is. You go in here, I won't spoil too much, but you go in thinking... There's nothing to spoil. (laughs) You go in in thinking, oh, rom-com, you know, sitcom, right? I got one better for you. It's a sports drama. Wow. All right? Yeah. Wow. That's right. Uh, The genius is how they hit it, all right? There's a, whether it's the betrayals, the flower shop, the drug dealer, all these situations, they're all red herrings, all right? Mm. These guys are playing football the entire movie, but the gridiron is disguised in very genius ways. An alley, a park, a rooftop, the street for some reason, all these things. And basically where where this is going is... It's a, it's a movie, 
it's a it's a sports drama movie very much very similar to let's say the sandlot remember the titans uh or even something you think like the room is like remember the titans <laughs> go on that's yeah, right. okay yeah let's unpack that space jam <laughs> um you know the uh one thing that they left a thread right they leave a thread in this movie you you keep thinking it's a you keep thinking it's a it's a rom-com but they leave the thread and it's tommy's uh, the way tommy can spin that football baby he he throws he throws an underarm spiral that would make Aaron Rodgers blush. All right? And that's when I started to see it last night. I said, this is this is a sports movie. This is a clearly a washed-up pro football player with what seems to be signs of CTE, from what we can tell. And and uh, it's uh, all, all movie long. They're playing football. They're having a good time. Football is keeping this group together, right? It's what's bonded them. You do bring up a good point, is that now that I think about it, is that Patrick Mahomes, that little like underhand yep. shovel pass that he yep. throws like Travis Kelsey or to a running back, like basically like on a like middle screen yep. and it rolls out. That is that is Tommy Wisso <laughs> throwing that football. That is that little shovel pass, so uh, yeah, maybe Brett Favre too. Like maybe he took all that and, from him. And, and just like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, I'll come back to him. What uh, it, it all comes down to the group. The group was playing for each other, right? They're playing for each other. Everyone stays happy. They stay winning. All of a sudden, all right, Mark, he wants first team reps. Oh, hello, Mark. <laughs> Hi, Mark. Mark <laughs> wants first team reps. All of a sudden, the group falls apart. All right. Mm. <laughs> it's uh it, it the breakup between Lisa and Tommy spoiler sorry or excuse me uh, between Lisa and Johnny is a metaphor for the old washed up quarterback getting replaced by the young handsome backup wow devastation and in that final scene when you guys know what happens Johnny's cradling that football on his hand just for one more run sports drama so is this what the Jets are going to look like this season? <laughs> Was Zach is Zach Wilson Mark? Is, is that what you're trying to tell me? Is Zach, that Zach Wilson is Mark and Zach Aaron Rodgers is is Johnny, also known as Tommy Wiseau? Zach Zach Wilson is Mark, and he wants to bang Aaron Rodgers' mom and take that starting position. That all tracks. Yeah. Now that you say this, this movie, The Room, kind of gives me the vibe of Bull Durham. Because think about it. It's just exactly what you're talking about. The old washed up catcher out there, just, you know, good guy trying to grind it out, you know, do what he can for the team. And then the one pitcher dude comes in, young, handsome guy. Yep. Shane, I think you really, I think you've kind of, I think you figured it out. I think you figured out this movie. You know, I think you bring up a good point, too, is that uh, I said this while we were watching the movie, is that. Obviously, the movie has a lot of layers to it. Yeah. If you've seen it, you would know that. But what Johnny actually does for a living is never really established. You don't know what he's doing during the day. Is he at training camp? <laughs> he, <laughs> Who knows? I'm telling you, he's a reti- he made his money in the NFL, he, and he's just living it out. He could be one of those guys that, after he's done with the NFL, he's trying to like do something like in real estate or some yeah. kind of finance role. Yeah, he says but he like works kinda, at the bank, but, but he's just kind of lost. Yeah, 
I've never known a banker to work at 8 p.m. on a weekday. So And it works, too, because Tommy Wiseau, his whole thing is he's trying to be the all-American guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he names himself Johnny. Well, <laughs> well he's from the bayou. Baby. Yeah, he's from the bayou, but it's like, it, it's all coming together. He's the all-American guy. You can count on him. He'll do anything to help you out. Like, he's always there for you. Manly man muscles. He, a lot of scenes of him showing, obviously, a rugged body, but still mm-hmm. in good shape. Like, he could still take a hit. Mm-hmm. He's, wow. I mean, and I mean, think about it. He's clearly somewhere between twenty and forty years older than the rest of the cast. This guy's clearly been around the block for a little bit. How no, 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 he, that's not true. He told uh, he told Mark that they're the same age. <laughs> <laughs> Another red herring. He's trying to throw him off the trail. He doesn't want people to know that he was a star quarterback who's washed up. That's why he skulks around all day. No one really knows what he's doing. And honestly, with that real estate that he has in the movie in San Fran, like, dude, that's prime real estate in that car he's driving. Like, he's yeah. obviously making starting NFL quarterback pay at the time. We don't see him. We don't see him working. We don't see him doing anything other than skulking around. How is he? How is he affording this? Well, exactly. He's the favorite customer at the flower shop. <laughs> he also has very swaggy outfits. Something that like yeah. high superstar athletes wear. Something a little bit out of the ordinary, but still looking, you know, cool as hell. You know, yep. And, and much like, uh, like I was saying, much like remember the Titans. This movie, <laughs> this movie is full of life lessons and teachings along the way to go along with the sports. How many games do they really play in Remember the Titans? A few, maybe. I don't even remember. It's not even that memorable. I mean, but it's how like many... a high school season, so it's probably like eight to ten games. And there was probably eight to ten scenes of them playing football in the room, That's minimum. True. And at the end of the day, the whole movie has the deeper message of everyone just loved each other a little bit more. That's the right. world would be a better place, just like Remember the Titans. Play for each other, and if we everyone, all stay winning. Except in the room, they're all white. So, <laughs> <laughs> so finding finding that ability to love the other person. Although, also, at the, at the end of the day, in the room, I don't know. They don't come together. Yeah. They actually grow further apart. Maybe that's what he's trying to portray. That sometimes it's not always a fairy, you know, fairy tale ending. Yeah, not every, not every great sports movie can have a fairy tale ending, and I think this was one of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, Salton High School has been proving that for many years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Anyways, though, speaking of the room, is that uh, if you haven't seen it, you should because there's three sex scenes in the first thirty <laughs> minutes. Maybe we can dive into that a little bit because yeah. I think that's. Uh, it really sets up the movie, I feel like. Yeah, I think when you set the tone with uh, a sex scene, what, four minutes into the movie? Yeah. Uh, to then be repeated, the same sex scene. It's uh, almost a shot-for-shot remake with different music. Uh, not, yeah, I, It's got to be 10, 15 minutes later. I, I, I think that... Uh, I think it's a little longer than that because they sprinkle in Mark. That's true. Spoiler. But they <laughs> sprinkle in Mark having sex with the same lady. Uh, so that, that scene is obviously different, but... Yeah. But then uh, Johnny gets right back in there. He's he's and he's up. Yeah, he's up. He's a he's a near belly button or or uh, upper torso. <laughs> and Orifice took a pounding. We're just not sure which one. Yeah, but anyways, in summation, uh, the room highly recommend you go see it. Preferably at Central Cinema. You know, just get a group of friends. Go to Central Cinema, like. You have a good time, you order beer, you order, you know, whatever kind of drinks, you order food, and you sit down, and it's just, you you fall into the whole atmosphere of it. People are yelling at the screen, people are throwing spoons at the screen, 
and there's footballs flying around. Like it, it's just a, an atmosphere you want to be a part of. You know, I want to make a note because I was talking about this a little bit after watching it, and I've been to Central Cinema a few times, and it tends to be the same kind of thing. A lot of it ends up being really funny, but it kind of gets on my nerves a little bit is that there's clearly people that are there to make jokes because it's like it's almost like their chance to do like their stand-up routine working on the type five they're, yeah their type five and their type five is commentating on a movie like so some of it is funny but some of it kind of rubs me the wrong way because it's like i i don't want to grandstand here but it's like I feel like you're here for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You want to be here because you want people to laugh at what you say. Yeah. When it's like, I don't know, have you seen the room? You'll laugh just by watching it. <laughs> I don't I don't need the commentary. The cut that they do at Central Cinema too is, is great because they replay some of the iconic scenes and they like run them back three times in a row to really ham fist in there that how ridiculous and funny it is. But yeah, sometimes when people are like kind of commenting during it, I don't know, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Uh, actually, I'm with you on that. There, uh, there's a couple of guys that uh, they've clearly seen the movie before, and it seemed like they were taking the opportunity at cent- you know Central Cinema, wherever everyone else is trying to watch the movie, to workshop their uh, you know loud commentary for everybody. And uh, it was not a uh, it was not a tough crowd, and there were some bombs in there. I felt a little embarrassed for a couple of those guys. Uh, Agreed. I it, I think uh, I think you work on the commentary around amongst friends watching this at home, and then maybe take it to the big time at Central Cinema. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I know I'm with you on that. I think uh, I think when you're showing up and doing that kind of stuff, basically just to uh, I don't know, what get a little bit of clout at a movie theater where everyone is having fun anyway. Uh, it kind of not ruins the experience, but makes it worse. I would say in their defense, though, that it is a cult following, and this is this happens. It's the last Thursday of every month, mm-hmm. so it could be the same guys going together, or like a gent, like a pretty like same group of people that are going. So if you're gonna see it all the time, like you have a few beers in you, like I'm sure, like you know, you start just yelling things because you've seen it a thousand times with the same group of friends. Maybe. See, see my slight counter to that though is that like I agree with you a hundred percent, but in my mind, that's what makes it more frustrating or cringy. Is that if you're going there all the time, it's like you're trotting out the same jokes. Your friend, like, if we went, if we went again next month in the month after, and then like I yell out the same joke every time, it's That'd like you guys obviously aren't gonna <laughs> laugh. It's because you want strangers to laugh at what you're saying. Kind of like and- when you yell bachelor party at a bachelor party. <laughs> <laughs> Cold blooded, <laughs> uh, but also accurate. But <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Is it like you're going there? You're going there to try to get a reaction to satisfy yourself, and like that's kind of the the thing that was in my mind a little cringy because it's like mm-hmm. the way they play it there is it like like I said they replay some of the scenes, they have the subtitles up the entire time, yeah, the and they have and they have the bold lettering. When you're supposed to like yell out something or like yeah prompt when, everybody to do yeah it. exactly there's a prompt there when you're supposed to like everybody call out but when people want to go rogue air quotes and be like and make some sort of 
cheeky comment when something happens that it's like some of them are really good so like I, like I said I said I'm being a little I'm being a little snobby in some regard that it's like some of them are really good and I'm like yeah that was funny some of them kind of bomb though and it's just like alright buddy we get it you want you, you want to be the center of attention here yeah. and you want people to react to what you say nobody's reacting and it just kind of comes across as uh I don't know. Selfish. There's a couple of a couple of edgy ones that uh, didn't quite work out for the for the person saying them. Um, I think the awkward silence of no one laughing at your joke is punishment enough sometimes because you got to sit there and think about what you've just done. But uh, overall, it's a phenomenal experience. That was so much fun. Yeah, highly recommend it. Anyone that hasn't done it yet, go go do it. Go with your friends. Go have a good time, and you'll enjoy. Go it. with us. We'll go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'll see you there next month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Last Thursday of every month. All right, let's get into some sports. That's 15 minutes of the room. You're welcome, everyone. That's a little special edition of Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports podcast. Well, Shane said it. That was the room sports. is sports. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, my bad. Baby. Need a recap from the so-called experts? It's time for a Monday morning meeting. So, I think that we put a little fire in the Mariners since our last talk, because as we were talking about the Mariners being garbage and Colton Wong being garbage and Teoscar, Teoscar Hernandez not playing as well, Julio not playing as well, what's been happening the last seven games since a, you know, a week later, they have gone 5-2. and two. It's good yeah. news for the Mariners. Yeah, and I mean, I called out Julio for not hitting for power. And what has he done the last week? He hit four home runs in one series, including two bombs in the game where they were down six to two in the seventh inning, and they came back. So I don't know. Does Julio listen to the podcast? Probably not. I think confirmed. <laughs> Big if true. <laughs> as soon as Shane got on the mic, he's like, "Oh, I better listen." <laughs> but yeah, it's been encouraging to see to see the bats kind of pop off a little bit, and especially Julio's bat because. Instead, I think there's a lot of Julio haters out there. But, like, he's still kind of churning out an okay season. It's just that the power hasn't been there at all. But we're getting into this late July. I swear I heard them say on the broadcast earlier that Julio has reached base in every game in the month of July. We like that. Doesn't mean it's a hit, you know, but, like... So he's been kind of slowly working things through. And then you saw the power come out basically against that uh in the series against the twins so that's been super encouraging yeah I, and with what we saw tonight uh they picked up the win they're what now four games over 500 is that it's something it's something like that three or four games over yeah 500. i'll check it they uh are only what five games out of being in a wild card spot i think it's less than that is i think it it's four? like three and a half okay but it's it's well within grasp, right? Go on a little bit, go on a little bit of a run, pick up some more wins. Try hopefully just keep going on a win streak, or at least just keep winning the series, right? And it's this the wild card is still within grasp. Now, when is the trade deadline? You know, hold on, real quick. I will say this: the big thing too with that wild card race is that you went out and won the series against the Blue Jays, who is in that third wild card spot, yeah, and, and that was a big series to yeah. win. 
to answer your question about where they stand right now, they're currently at 53-50. and 50. They are six and a half games back from the AL West. And the Rangers have been kind of taking a nosedive lately. Not, I mean, not dramatically, but they definitely have cooled off a little bit. And then the other side of it with the wild card, they're currently sitting four and a half games back from the wild card. And Toronto's still in that third spot. So you did you did your job. Like you went out there and you won the series against the Blue Jays and you needed to do that. And if you just keep catching fire, we'll see what happens. I think that that series, we talked about the importance of it. And I think how they perform is going to make things more interesting regarding the trade deadline. And we can kind of, you were heading that direction. Yeah, it was mostly just, uh, I don't know the trade deadline off the top of my head, but I'm curious at, they're at arm's length, right, from a wild card spot, and realistically, six and a half game, games back in the West, it's it's not like an impossible number to overcome, especially with, you know, roughly, you know, 60 games, a little bit less than that, left in the season. Uh, if they catch a little bit fire, like you were saying, Tan, they could, they could easily get there. Now... Do they go out and try to get a bat now this close, you know, this close to being in the race? They're starting to heat up a little bit. Maybe guys are getting, they're feeling that, like, cohesion and playing better together. Um, much like uh, much like what feels like a lot of the Mariners teams have passed, they really start to heat up later in the season, uh, last season with the with the big win, win streak. Um, what, do you guys, what do you guys think? Do you think they should go out and try to find a bat? Uh... I guess I'll take that. Um, I think they need to do something, although, I don't know, I, I've seen some of these trades that have come through, and like, I'm trying to remember, this isn't this isn't good podcasting, honestly, but I saw some reliever just got traded for like a good bat, and so part of me thinks that it's like, I don't know, maybe the, the Mariners probably need to be like buyers and sellers. Because I do think that you can go trade somebody like Paul Seawald mm-hmm. for somebody, like a good bat. But that doesn't mean that you also, like, you got to kind of temper that against things and be like, well, we can go trade Paul Seawald and, like, he, I mean, he got the save tonight and he's a good pitcher. But it's like, you need to be sellers in the way that you're not. You're not afraid to go trade some proven players for maybe some guys that maybe don't give you the greatest impact like this season, but you have club control on and might build up to something. But then also maybe you trade some prospects to go get another player who does have, who will impact your season. So like, and I think that's how Jerry always is. Like he loves to make trades. So it's like, you're going to try to find pockets where you can find the most value and honestly a guy like Paul Seawald honestly I like him a lot and he's clearly an effective player but he seems very much like the type of guy that that would be a seller's move to trade him but at the same time you've probably already gotten the best out of him you're ever going to get so if you can trade hot like if you can trade high and cash out at his highest value right now even if even if it's for a guy that necessarily isn't going to make your team better today, he might make your team better next year. Like, that's kind of the direction that I feel like they're going to go. See, I think that they should probably try to pursue that route because according to my sources, which I have plenty of sources, um, 
Paul Seawalt is getting a lot of interest, and I think it's going to be multiple players that are being offered for him because the big thing with Seawalt that it's not like a one-year thing that he suddenly caught fire. He's been doing it for the last three years. He's been yeah. a very quality reliever, closing pitcher for the last three years. So if you can go out and get, you know, maybe a nice bat or just like quality prospects that are ready to go maybe next year or within the next two years, that's, I think that's worth it because you still have the bullpen. Someone will fill in. Think of Kendall Graveman. Remember when that all happened? That was a big deal. And I think that the Mariners ultimately probably lost in that trade. But, you know, that proves... You have to can, try. Yeah, you got to try. And that proves your, you know, your thing about Jerry DePoto is that, you know, he's not afraid to make a deal. And he did it right after Grayman had a, a, a clutch save that night. And then literally the next day he was gone. Yeah. and But the spot was filled. Seawald's yeah. done a great job. Yeah. And, and I think this only builds off of, like, what we were kind of talking about on the last podcast is that I don't think any Mariners fan should have trepidation about their ability to find somebody else who can be the next Paul Seawald. It's about finding somebody who can swing the bat. Like they find guys everywhere that can go pitch for you. And so like that's been one of the frustrating things and uh like Chris Flexen is a good example in my mind. They brought him in and that was a great pickup and we weren't doing the podcast at the time, but you'll just have to believe me when I, when I say this, is that after he had his really good year in the COVID year, I was like, we should trade him right now. His value is so much higher than it will ever be. And the Mariners know how to find these guys. So trade him and get get stuff back for him. Like, sell high, buy low, right? And so trade Chris Flexen, a guy like Seawald, I think... It, the way the Mariners do things, a guy like Seawald is a dime a dozen. So if, if he has high trade interest and people want to pay a premium to get him on your team, you should take people for him. Because you can go find another... The Mariners are just good at this. Go find another guy to be a closer or a setup guy. Like They know how to find that. They don't know how to find bats. So if you need to trade a guy like Paul Seawald to go get... a younger promising bat who might not help you this year but might help you next year or the year after i think you have to take that opportunity yeah i saw that not to change the subject too much but i saw that cody bellinger they had him ranked or they had the mariners ranked within like the top five teams that'd be interested in him obviously we don't know if any of that's really true but would you be willing to go for a cody bellinger right now where we sit in the season hell yeah I, i don't know what that trade looks like I saw I saw somebody say this on Twitter and I could not agree more. I'm not gonna claim this is my own take, but it was like Cody Bellinger feels like the most perfect type of player the Mariners could trade for because he's a lefty power bat, which we need. He can play first base or he can play the outfield and he's got good speed, but also if you trade for him and he's horrible Nobody would also be surprised about that because that's just kind of the kind of that's the kind of player that he is. So like he really is the prototypical Mariner type of player that you would go for. Is that nobody would be shocked if he came to the Mariners and was horrible, but he checks a lot of the boxes of what you need: lefty power, can play first base, can play an outfield spot. Would you be worried about sign or making that trade? Like, how much are you willing to give? Because he only signed a one-year deal, right? So you're getting him for this season, and then that's it. Yeah, are you? 
are you in a spot that you feel comfortable that you think you can actually make a push in the wild or in the wild card or even the AOS to make it worth it to give up anything? I mean, I think giving up, I think I wouldn't give up a really good prospect for him, but I might give up kind of some mid tier, a couple mid tier guys for the prospect. For 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 the hope that he can come bring some presence to you and maybe push you over this year, and then again you always help. You always hope that he shows up, he tears the cover off the ball, and he likes what's going on. But yeah, I wouldn't get I wouldn't get rid of anybody good necessarily. Yeah, I think the uh, the prospect of giving up somebody like a high high level prospect or like a really good player for a return that is kind of up in the air, at least as far as you guys are concerned on whether or not he shows up here and can actually hit anymore. Uh, I think I think for a short term, you know, playing just this season, you don't give up anything too good for value you may not get back if unless you're just sure that this guy is going to be a player when he gets here. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Although, I mean, I still think Bellinger it falls into that camp of what I was trying to say. Is it like maybe you trade Paul Seawald for some players that can propel you forward in the future, and then maybe you get rid of some mid-tier players that for a guy like Belly, that it's like absolute worst case, he's here for a handful of months, but he helps get you to the playoffs. And if he doesn't come back, then he doesn't come back, but you didn't lose anybody that like really derails anything. Like you don't want to get rid of Brian Wu or Emerson Hancock for somebody like that. Not on a rental deal, but that's where you want to be buyers and sellers though. And a guy like Bellinger, I feel like really falls into that buyer category. That's like, well, yeah, this guy might be a good enough bat if he can really put it together that maybe he gives us that juice that, like you said, we're four and a half games back of the wild card, six and a half of the division. Maybe everybody on the team starts to get hot at the right time. And he's the bat that drops into the lineup that helps that out. And you get a playoff berth out of it, and then he's gone, and it's like, well, okay, cool. That like that's that's where we want to be at. That's the kind of trade that we want to make. So, I think it's interesting, but it would be disappointing if they got rid of, like I said, somebody like Brian Wu or Emerson Hancock, or I can't imagine they give up like Harry Ford. You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be anybody in our top ten prospects. Mm-hmm. It'd have to be somebody outside of that. Yeah, and I think that's pretty fair. I think probably the rest of the market's probably having that same mindset as well. And I don't think the Cubs are in a position where they're thinking that they're going to be, you know, winning today or winning within the next year. So they're probably willing to take maybe some, you know, prospects that have time to go. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think the one thing that we got to mention as far as regarding the AOS before we put a bow on, you know, Mariner's talk is that. Altuve and Alvarez are back. Does that worry you as far as the Astros? That in conjunction with the fact that they just got Kendall Graveman too. Is that, I mean, I would never count out the Astros. So, I mean, you're kind of just saying how the Rangers were, they've been scuffling a little bit. Is it like, I would think if I'm the Astros, I feel like just like 
we feel as Mariners fans, like, if we can just turn this around a little bit, like, the division's ours. And the Astros have way more ammunition to say that they should feel that way. That it's like, oh, if we're at full strength here for the next two and a half months or whatever, like, this is our division to win. So, I, I think it's a good point because that's why if you're Jerry DePoto and the Mariners, like, you kind of have to temper that a little bit. How big of buyers do we want to be in a division that it's like, you're right, we're not that far off the pace, but the Angels have made trades. They've just got Giolito to add to their starting rotation. The Astros are getting healthy and better, and they're never a tough out. They're the best team year in and year out if they're healthy. So how hard do you want to sell to be a playoff team this year? Because... Honestly, being like not being a Mariners biased fan is like it's gonna be a tough division to win, even if you are close. Yeah. So how much do you want to give up for that opportunity just to fall short? Yeah, you're in arm's reach with three other two other teams in our in the division who are also in arm's reach, who one of which is far better than we are on a good day, right? Yeah, and both uh, teams have gotten better. Yep, they've added people, or Mariners haven't done anything yet. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to say, you know, it's right there for us to take when you've got two other people in the West just breathing down your neck who are, one of which is clearly a better team, the other of which has added, already added pieces. Yep. Well, August 1st is going to be the trade deadline, so there's only a few days and we're going to see what happens. So stay tuned for that. I think moves are going to be made. Are they good moves? I don't know. But something will happen. I would be shocked if the Mariners are completely stagnant. Grab your tools and hard hats. Time to head over to the local chapter chat. All right, boys, so now uh, upcoming ahead is our favorite time of the year. It's going to be the NFL season, college football coming up, but we'll focus in on the NFL and uh, some of the big national headlines, this one being the most important. Sean Payton throwing a little shade at Nathaniel Hackett for last year's disaster. Do you guys love to see it? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think I, I, think I do love... I think I love in general anytime a coach is willing to go and like blast another coach because I feel like that kind of goes against like the coach like credo that's like usually you don't you don't name names like you don't blast people like that so you like to see the kind of like candid response from Sean Payton but at the same time is it like I kind of feel like a lot of this comes from a source that is that like Russell Wilson just like wasn't good last year and you could blame that on coaches but I feel like a lot of people did that when he was with the Seahawks at the end of his tenure and so I get why you would do this is that you want to take pressure off of your quarterback so it was just an interesting way to kind of execute this plan of like yeah most of the time coaches NFL coaches don't blast other NFL head coaches like that openly 
but I'm going to do that because it feels like you're just trying to save Russell Wilson's save face for Russell Wilson, where, like, he's kind of been a little bit of a problem for a few years now. And we can all agree that Nathaniel Hackett sucks. Like, clearly, he got fired after one season. Like, I don't think that's up for debate, but... I don't know. It seemed like an interesting way to go about it. It's it's rare that you see that kind of candid response from a coach. Yeah, I. Uh, so on the other hand, I suppose I uh, kind of like when the coaches and players come out and be kind of you know a little shady bitch about it. And uh, I mean, I get what he's doing, and I'm I'm in agreement with you there. I think he is trying to take some some heat off of Russell, and in in his own way, you know, Sean Payne's out here. He's playing forty chess. He's playing some rooftop connect four. It type of stuff to uh, try to spin this in a positive way for his quarterback and his team now because he has to. They, yeah. the the Broncos the Broncos and Russell Wilson was they were so bad last year that it almost took a, it almost took away from the fact uh, at least the trade for Russell and all the picks we got from it. It almost makes us Seahawks fans forget about the trade that we did for Jamal Adams and all, everything that we gave up. Right? It's uh, it was an implosion that we you know, have never seen before out of Russell Wilson. Like, he's had some down years, but nothing like that. I, I don't think it solely rests on Russ, but um, – and, and coaching probably has, like, a pretty big part of that. But as far as, like, the, the candor for Sean Payton, I like it. I think it's funny. Uh, and I'm all about uh, injecting a little more, like, real talk, at least from, you know, coaches and players' standpoint into the NFL. Yeah, it makes good TV and it makes good drama that keeps the fans interested. I just don't know what Sean Payton really benefits from it because I think as an NFL coach going into each season, whether it's your team or a new team that you're coming to, it's supposed to be like new year, new you, like starting over from scratch, like you're tearing down the stud and like, you know, you're you're putting everything back together. So what's the real purpose in this? Like you're supposed to just let this go and move on. I think he likes playing the uh, bad guy, honestly. I mean, what, we know him for what? The bounty the bounty shit, right? I, I don't know that it was necessarily him, but he's the head yeah, coach. Yeah, I think he was able to skirt by on that one by his yeah. uh, defensive coordinator. Is that uh, Craig Williams? I, I believe, yeah. Is who it was, but... Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so he kind of got by on that. Is it like... I do think, though, that it sets up pretty nicely, in my mind, is it like, like, like we've all just said... I get it. You were kind of trying to take some heat off Russell Wilson. And I think ultimately you're saying this because you want to propel your team forward. That it's like, we need to shake off what was happening. It it wasn't the players. It was the bad coaching. Now I'm here. The problem is, is that if you go out and you're 7-10, and I guess now, because they play 17 games. You go out and you're 7-10, and like... You're going to have egg on your face. Like, you're going to look like a real fucking asshole if yeah. you say all this shit and then you go out and you put up, like, a not winning season. And they play in a super tough division. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. the Raiders, the Raiders maybe might not be as good, you know? Like, they still have talent, but they might not be as good. Yeah. We'll see what Jimmy G, G can do there. But, like, the Chargers and the Chiefs are yeah. still... The Chiefs are definitely a really good team, and the Chargers are very talented, and they should be a better team. So, like, it's a tough division to talk shit in, I guess. And I feel like he's setting himself up that it's like, if you don't make the playoffs, I feel like this is the kind of bulletin board material that 
we'll circle back for sure and be like, remember when Sean Payton was talking all this shit about Nathaniel Hackett and then he went out there and won two more games than him? <laughs> like, so, I, I don't know. I think it's a bold strategy, but he's a good coach. So, like, be yeah. confident and try to motivate your players. I, I get that. Yeah. I, I just think that at the end of the day, it's going to create some sort of controversy one way or the other. And it's going to bring more attention to that last season. It's going to continue to bring up topics of, oh, what really happened there? What Was it what Sean Payton's saying with Nathaniel Hackett? It's going to keep the conversation going. So, And like you said, if he comes out and just puts up a dud, it just makes him look silly. It's just him being a competitive guy. And listen, Shane, the whole bounty thing. Listen, I saw Kevin James' uh, movie about this where he played Sean Payton. Okay? He's an innocent guy. <laughs> He didn't do anything wrong. And he's a good dad that went out and coached uh, youth football the next season during his suspension, and he killed it. So, easy on that, okay? Kevin, man. Kevin James, like, king of queens? Yes. Did You've never lose, seen this? Did he lose weight for the role? No. Oh, he's, he's still still a big boy. <laughs> he, did, he did a movie where he was Sean Payton? Yes. You haven't seen this? No, I haven't. Let me look it up. I forget the name. It was on Netflix for a little while. It I'm was not awesome. Watch it. You don't need to give me the movie time. I'm not going to watch it. Oh, no, no. I'm going to give it to you. I mean, I do love Kevin James, but... I don't know how that got off my radar. You guys never seen this? No, I never even heard of it. Wow, that blows no, my mind. I didn't know. I didn't know that that was It's called movie. Home Team. Yeah, it's literally about Sean Payton where, like, he gets the suspension and he's, like, in his little coaching office. He's like, oh, darn. Like, Did he write the script? <laughs> he might have but he's like oh man like that's such a bummer but like they really portrayed as like you know Sean Payton this you know great guy just down on his luck and then he like goes back home to see his kid you know you know what this reminds me of I don't I'm gonna go off topic here is that is it uh Mighty Ducks <laughs> the Mighty Ducks is it that's one of those movies is that I I feel like you guys you guys especially Tanner, I know if Nigel was here, he would vouch for this too, is that saw it very young as a kid. I had never seen Mighty Ducks until I was probably, I don't know, mid to late 20s. Is that the whole premise of that movie is that Emilio Estevez gets a DUI <laughs> and he's court ordered to coach a youth hockey team. And then it's, it's a Disney movie. It's a fucking Disney movie where then he's the hero because he like takes these misfit kids and like gives them purpose and they win a game and like that's all I'm hearing from this movie. It's basically that. It's basically It's like you did a really really bad thing, but now we're going to like prop you up and celebrate you for giving back to the community when basically you were court ordered to do it. This similar movie in uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, what is that? Hardball. Hardball, yeah. yeah very oh similar. my god, that's a great movie. Yeah, very similar premise. <laughs> I love it when you call me Big, Big Papa. Papa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But, I mean, yeah, I guess there's a theme here. <laughs> yeah, that it kills. Yeah. White, white people are really good at giving back to the community when they're court-ordered. <laughs> so I, guess, I, guess that, I, guess, I guess that's the theme. But uh, I didn't know that was a movie. But it's yeah, sound, check it out. It sounds like something I've seen before. Do you want to watch it after this? No, oh. I don't think I'll ever watch that. <laughs> it's pretty sick. Okay, we had Dalvin Cook most likely going to the Jets, according to him. What do you guys think of that? You think it's a good fit for him? Yeah, I think it. I think it's something that was going to happen because, like the the other like sub tagline here too is that 
Aaron Rodgers just took Aaron Rodgers just took a thirty five million dollar pay cut. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Yeah. yeah. That, like he literally negotiated out thirty five million. I and I assume that's all under the pretense that he's like, you need to go get more players next to me. And Dalvin Cook seems like that person. And I think I heard him on the radio today that I think he's doing his like his physical on or he, maybe he's already done his physical, but he has his real meaning on Sunday with them. I'm guessing that he's going to sign there. That makes me think that one, they're, uh, I mean, they may go back by committee anyway, kind of what they were doing before, but that makes me think that one, they're not going to rush Brees Hall back because he's coming off of yeah pretty bad injury. So he's basically going to be the unchallenged number one guy there, uh, which good for them. Dalvin Cook's a really good player. Uh, I, I mean, if you got the money to spend, you may as well go and get the best free agent running back available, one who just happens to be a really good player. Um, so I, I, I'll be curious to see how that plays out. Like, uh, I mean, he's pretty far, Brees Hall is pretty far removed from his injury. Curious to see if they bring him back at all, maybe just get him a small amount of reps like later on in the season. Uh, I think Dalvin Cook is going to go unchallenged naturally as the number one back. Uh, I guess less similar to, what is it, Alexander Madison, who was starting to get some reps down the stretch there, and they were kind of going into more of a split. I don't think we'll see that with the Jets. I think Dalvin Cook just will be the every-down guy, uh, gets spelled when he gets a little bit tired here by whoever the backup is there, Ty Johnson, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. You, uh, you're going to take your great, your great quarterback that you just signed who took a pay cut, you go out and get the best players available to put around him, which is what he wanted, like, every year and you know, Green Bay. Um, it's gonna, the Jets already have a good defense. It's going to make them a good team. I think I think that's... You're kind of hinting at something that I think is funny is that uh, for the most part, I've always really liked Aaron Rodgers. I do think it's funny that his entire time in Green Bay, he's kind of been this guy and has been like air quotes burdened by the fact that like management wouldn't draft the players you know they drafted Jordan Love instead of like somebody who could help him out and he's been burdened by the fact that management hasn't really helped him out meanwhile like just a couple years ago he was unwilling to take a pay cut and so they had to let Devontae Adams go Yeah, yeah and now he's trying to kind of be this like white knight figure that it's like well, I'm going to take a $35 million pay cut because I want to win. It's like, motherfucker, you wouldn't do that two years ago (laughs) and you let arguably the best receiver in the NFL go from your team because you wouldn't wouldn't work with your contract to keep him in-house. And now you're going and it's like, I like Dalvin Cook a lot, and so I don't mean this as disrespect to him, but it's like, oh yeah, I'll rework my contract so we can get Dalvin Cook in-house. When it's like, I don't think anyone would argue if you're a star quarterback, you want Devonte Adams on your team, not Dalvin Cook. So I don't know. It's like Aaron Rodgers is just kind of a fucking I don't know what what's the word snake. <laughs> yeah, in some regards, it is just like I feel like he's just trying to like rehab his image and be like, no, 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 I'm totally this good guy. But to get back onto football. Adding Dalvin Cook would be a good addition for him. I think Brees Hall works very well. Once he's healthy, works very well off of that. That's a potent offense. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. It's just funny that he would never do this to keep Devontae Adams, apparently, in Green Bay. I mean, one thing I was wondering, though, when you made that comment is that, you know, during that time, maybe he already saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, he knew that he was had no intention of trying to... St- well, that's not true because he ended up signing another extension with Green Bay, right? At least another like, year no, that's or two. The, that's the extension that that's pushed right. Devontae Adams yeah, out. Scratch, yeah, scratch my scratch my take. I was going to say that he saw his light in the tunnel, make the money while you can, and then go to a team where you can do those type of moves. But, yeah, scratch I, I that. Think, uh, I think I'm with you on, on this one, Luke. Uh, Aaron Rodgers spent, what, the last two or three years uh, wandering around in the dark or whatever he was doing, his meditation thing, yeah. being an asshole. And, uh, ayahuasca. Yeah. It's called ayahuasca. Yeah, Nigel's doing the same retreat right now. That's what that's what he's off Spent doing. The last few years they're doing that, and basically, uh, you know, getting every bit of the every bit of the contract that he could, and they shoved out the. I mean, I'd say I'd say he's probably the best. He's top two a wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, I, I don't think there's very much argument to be made about that. Uh, lets him go and then wants to complain that he's got nobody around him. I mean, it's the same old, same old, same old. So I think that I think it is like a uh, image PR that he's trying to yeah. do here for the Jets. I think that's totally what it is. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I still will give him credit for the fact that it's like if you get Dalvin Cook in there, that proof is in the pudding. Like you can call him fake for doing all this shit and then like oh now you want to give up money but if they end up being a super bowl contender then like you got to give them a little bit of credit for the fact that it's like sure you were kind of an asshole and you fucked over Devonte adams and the packers but if you upgraded your situation and got yourself into a better winning situation then i guess you did make the right moves at the end of the day but i don't know that's a really tough division so i don't I don't know that. I don't know that adding Dalvin Cook to a to that team is going to be enough. But I think it's if I'm the Jets, it's definitely a move that you need to make to try. Yeah, you, right? you, you have to. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, I think this goes without saying. You have to win in your first year at the Jets, uh, and you have to continue winning uh, as history is often written by the winners. And so the moves that he's made over the last five six years uh it's really going to come down to what he does here on the jets if this is going to be looked on favorably uh as aaron Rodgers and what he does here moving forward but i mean he's going to go there they can't be any worse than they were last year they, they will be better without a doubt yeah i mean the thing is too is that if aaron Rodgers, if this all works out in his favor he goes out and wins the super bowl he probably gets Kevin James to come play a movie about him <laughs> about being the guy that saved the jets <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the I like the rope Kevin James back in, but I will say is I'll throw out a question here, um, and a comment. I guess is that I I do think there's some merit to it though. Is that if if Aaron Rodgers, whether or not they sign Dalvin Cook, it, but obviously that increases their chances. But like if he goes there this year and the Jets win the Super Bowl, that's his second Super Bowl. He's done it for two different teams. He's won three MVPs. Like, like I said, this is a comment and a question. Is that that kind of propels him as one of the best quarterbacks that's ever played? Like, does that put him ahead of Peyton Manning? Because, like, he had, like, Peyton's second Super Bowl, like, we all, well, 
I won't speak for you guys, but we all love Peyton Manning. Yeah. yeah. The second Super Bowl in Denver, though, like, they just, he was basically a corpse that got carried along. Like, <laughs> yeah. we saw that in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. Well, even that season leading up to it, he didn't, I mean, it was Brock Osweiler. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so his second Super Bowl is kind of, like, not really a Super Bowl. He, he gets the credit for it, but. The defense won it. The defense won it, but if Aaron Rodgers can go out there and be, he doesn't need to be an MVP, but if he can be a really good player, win the Super Bowl for the Jets, it's like, that's a, that's the type of Super Bowl win that can propel him, because already is it like, you can say what you want about Aaron Rodgers, he's easily one of the most talented players that has ever played the position, and his MVP total would validate that. So if he can go get a second, if he can go get a second Super Bowl win, while being like a highly capable quarterback, unlike Peyton Manning's run, is like, I think that puts him past Peyton Manning, and, that, and like that's kind of a hard thing to like think about. I think for a lot of people, but it is the type of move, and I'm sure that's what he's thinking in his mind because Aaron Rodgers is a calculated person. That's like, if I can go win a Super Bowl, especially in New York yeah. for the Jets, yeah. if I can go do that, like. I will move myself up into like bona fide top five quarterback of all time, and it'd be even with just just air quotes two Super Bowls. I like I think it'd be hard to move him off of that top five list. Yeah, uh, actually, I I agree with you on that. I think that if he goes there and he wins a Super Bowl, I think I would rate him higher than Peyton Manning on my on my goat list of quarterbacks, uh, regardless of who. Aaron Rodgers has had around him. I'm trying to think. It's got to be less than what? It's got to be less than three times over his career that he's had a losing record. It's it's yeah. not very many, regardless of who he's had around him. Uh, yeah, it, I, I'd be shocked if it's even three. Yeah, I, it might it might not even be that. I'm trying to think back because I mean he's been playing for a while, but it hasn't been that long. I can't think of very many times where the Packers weren't at the top of their division. Going, going into the playoffs, whether or not they went, you know, make it further, get to the Super Bowl, but the Seahawks stopped him a couple times, this and that. Um, well, but, that's why I feel like it's an apt comparison with Peyton Manning. Yeah. Is that Peyton Manning always won his division, and they were thirteen and three, and then they lost. Yep. And Aaron Rodgers has basically had a mirrored career where they, he constantly wins twelve or thirteen games a season, but he only has one Super Bowl. So if you get that second one. Especially with a, a second team. Yeah. Well, and one thing we can say about Aaron Rodgers, uh, I mean, you guys tell me if I'm wrong here, that we don't say about Peyton Manning, is that those teams that they've led, they're not led by the defense in any capacity on any of Aaron Rodgers' teams. It's led by Aaron Rodgers. He's the one making the plays. He's keeping them in the games. He's winning those games. The Packers have had good defenses, not anywhere close to the peak of, like, the Broncos' defenses that we've seen, like, recently or even some of the ones that were well, when he won that Super Bowl yeah right and we can't really say that about Aaron Rodgers he's had Green Bay's had some decent defenses well, that's why that's Jets team yeah they have a great defense yeah uh, and so if he goes out there and wins another Super Bowl I think it puts him past Peyton Manning for the full body of work because I believe this season regardless of how good the Jets defense is and it probably will be really good he will also be really good. You won't have to question, like, the arm strength. You're not questioning whether or not they should be bringing in... I mean, Zach Wilson's waiting in the lurch. Well, but... I think I think that's that's my further question on it, is that, like, 
Obviously, if they win the Super Bowl, it will be because Aaron Rodgers yep. is really good this year. On top of the fact that they have talent at the offensive positions and they have a great defense. Yeah. But I do think I do think that that is the big question going into the season is is Aaron Rodgers actually going to be that good? I think until he has a bad season and we have reason to think otherwise. The last year wasn't very good. But it wasn't that bad. I mean, no, it, it still wasn't that bad. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. Everybody everybody has down years in their career. I think at the end of the day, you say unlike Peyton Manning, the the Jets aren't going to win despite Aaron Rodgers the way that the Broncos had won games despite Peyton Manning, you know, playing the way that he did. That kind of wobbly duck throw that he ended up having for the latter half of the, you know, the twilight years or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think if he goes out there and he wins the Super Bowl, I think he goes above Peyton. What do you think, Dan? I'm sold. I mean, I, I really have <laughs> nothing else to add. Like, I, I agree with what you guys are saying. I think absolutely Aaron Rodgers takes over. You know, he takes a step above Peyton Manning in that aspect. But he has to do it. But he has to do it. do it. It's not done yet, but if he can do it within these next two years, absolutely. There's really no question. Let's talk about our hometown team, Seahawks. The folks you said had written you off, maybe? What did they say to them? Yeah, they wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. That's the problem. I ain't right back. Let's go. All right. Congratulations, Gino. <laughs> thank you, thank you. They wrote me off, and I didn't write back. We have a training camp going on right now. Let me ask you guys this. I'm going to ask you a who and a what question. I'm going to start with the what. What are you most excited about going into the season with the Seahawks? Yeah, this is, uh, I suppose this is less exciting maybe than some other things that uh, people might be, but this is a big deal for me. Um, I'm looking at, I'm looking at a uh, sweater on the wall. I believe that is uh, someone's childhood sweater. Is that Nigel's? Yeah, Nigel's childhood sweater. Uh, I'm really excited for the throwback jerseys that the Seahawks are bringing in. That's a jersey I would buy. I love the colors. I love the inspiration for the uh, for the logo in the in you know Blitz, the mascot, the Seahawk on the side. Uh, I'm extremely excited for the throwback jerseys. I really I really want to grab one. I think they're going to look great. I'm a little sad. I believe they got rid of Wolf Gray. Yes, I believe that's what it was. I'm a little sad. I wish the NFL was a little more open on letting teams have multiple jerseys and you can trot them out on certain nights, this and that, or whatever, not just like one or two alternates. Well, they'll never do this, and it pisses me off, is that I wish, the reason it's getting, as far as I understand, the reason it's getting, that Wolf Gray is getting cycled out is because they're not going to get rid of the highlighter, the high, the action green, sure. That's what it's actually called. They're not going to get rid of the action green, is that I'd love it if the Seahawks for their color rush jersey would be the wolf gray. Yeah. Especially if they did the silver helmets. Like I feel like that'd be pretty swaggy. But yeah. like like that could be your color rush, but I guess, you know, an art major would tell you is that gray's not a color, it's a shade. <laughs> so it can't it can't be the color rush if it's a shade. But yes, I completely agree. But it would be fun it would be more fun in my mind if if they phased out the action green and then when they need to have this color rush jersey it was the wolf gray and it was all gray on gray on gray still not my favorite jersey combo but i'd still rather see that than the action green 
but you're right that the the throwback jerseys. I'm just worried that they're not going to wear them enough. Yeah, it's probably only. I think it's like three games that every team is wearing their like throwback jerseys. Uh, honestly, I I mean, hot take maybe, but uh, I'd like it if they just did it for the entire season, all the home games, just be wearing those throwbacks. I love them. They're, it's such a it's such a unique like uh, part of like Seahawk history, and I think the jerseys just look so good. They're really slick. I mean, it, or even or even I would I would say is that like they can't do it for every home game, but. It would be fun if they could do it for every primetime game. Yeah. So I'm, like, so your Sunday night, your Monday night games, which I don't even know how many of the Seahawks have. Maybe it is only three games. Maybe that is the direction. I be. don't. I don't know. I don't follow the scheduling well enough to know. Shane, that. Shane, would you be willing to trade out the current uniforms and trade the throwbacks as the primary again for the blues? For the blues and the whites? Yeah. Or I guess the blues is our home, right? Uh, yeah. Honestly, I no, no. I'm it, saying the whole the whole color scheme going back to it, even like when oh, they had yeah. the whites. Yeah. I, honestly, I, I think, and let me preface that by saying that I think the blues and the whites now are really good. I, I think it's, it's a great jersey. It's one of the better jersey combos in the NFL, at least in my opinion. My unbiased, non-homer opinion. Uh, but, I mean, we all grew up, you know, around the area watching the Seahawks. I, I guess I just, maybe it's just nostalgia or the, the rose-tinted glasses or whatever, but I really like the, the old colors and the old style. I think they I think they look great. I, I would say yes, but... The, the game updates the, the game is updated in the same way that the jerseys have everything has gotten more modernized and these current white and blue jerseys that we're going for are a little more standard I think for where the NFL is now and I don't hate them so yeah I'd like to see the old the retros come back but it, it you know it doesn't burn me yeah I just think that like I saw somebody put this up on Twitter so again I'm just gonna regurgitate what somebody else has said but I agree with it, so I'm just going to say it. Is that it's like, a lot of the modern NFL jerseys, they're just so much more muted yep. than what they used to be. That, like, they all have, like, this like kind of darker, neutral tone to them. And, like, I get that, that, like, that was a thing, and so that's why they did it. But everything's cyclical. And so, like, I think now people, like, they want vibrant colors, like... And this is a whole other topic, but, like, the Houston Oilers jerseys, like, that's a prime example that, like, you want you want to see these bright colors and, like, the Seahawks retros do that for you. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think most people would agree that the, the San Diego, or, sorry, the L.A. Chargers, like, powder blue uniforms are some of the best jerseys that, like, arguably the best jersey in the NFL and it's because they actually have like bright colors with contrast to them. I actually like the Chiefs jerseys too for that same reason is that they're red like with the white pants like they actually have some like bright colors with contrast to them and a lot of the jerseys in the NFL these days like they're very muted colors that don't really like pop out and that's what's fun about these retro jerseys and that's what was fun about them when they were current is that they have like color and distinction and like character to them is like so yeah i would i would take the seahawks retros already after seeing you know the one yeah. mock-up of them is like 
yeah, give me those jerseys over what they have. And I like the Seahawks jerseys. You know, like, they're not, compared to other teams, they're not that bad. But I want I want those pops. I want, yep. I want the bright colors. Like, I think that's what fashion says these days is, like, you want that bright expression. The, uh... Buccaneers like orange creamsicle ones yeah, are some of my those. personal favorites. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a great but, jersey. But but I mean again, that's why things are kind of cyclical. You know, is that like those were kind of not fashionable when they were first rolled out. But part of that is because they were horrible, <laughs> right? Like like there is something to be said about the fact that like what people like, you have like a feeling that is associated with it. So when you're horrible, it's like, ah, oh, those jerseys weren't very good. They were 0-16. Like, they're bad. And the jerseys are bad. But, like, now it's kind of like, well, we've been far enough removed from that that, like, we appreciate it more now that if they're good and they look good. And these jerseys now look good because there's a good team playing for them. I think that, uh, to your point about the and why I'm kind of sad to see the wolf gray go what do we say like every time they play like oh the Seahawks are 8-0 in wolf gray that's what you know we love yeah. this jersey the Seahawks play so well in the wolf gray I, I mean superstition uh you know we're all just a little bit stitious over here but I'm uh I'm definitely on board that the wolf gray has made them play better every everything is result based driven like so you you win in something then you like it a lot more yeah yeah. But so hopefully the Seahawks win with their retro jerseys because <laughs> I want to see more of them. So Luke, what are you most excited about going into the Seahawks season? So I think the thing that I'm most excited about, and I feel like it should be pretty prevalent by who the Seahawks drafted with their fifth overall pick and what they did by signing Julian Love, is that I think the Seahawks might actually have a return to being a defensive-oriented team, and more specifically, a secondary defensive-oriented team, which is what the Seahawks, who won the Super Bowl and the Legion of Boom, was all about. Honestly, that is what I am most excited about for the Seahawks team, is that it feels like they're getting back to what Pete Carroll wants to do. They're going to... everybody, If everybody pans out the way they should... They should be a dominant secondary team. And you've made some additions on your D-line. You brought brought back Bobby Wagner. You should have solid players in your front seven. They still leave a little bit to be desired. But they should have an elite secondary. And I'm excited just to see a Seahawks team that week in and week out, like, we only need to score 20 points. And we will win. It doesn't leave uh, much for like the big excitement of scoring a ton of points. But how confident were we back in when the Seahawks defensive unit was so dominant that we don't even need to score more than 17 points because they're not going to score more than 10. Yeah. Like, we, we, we knew uh, watching those games that uh, it, it's not like it's been the last like few years where it's like, wow, the Seahawks are putting up 36 points a game. But their defense is giving up forty, you know, forty-four, whatever it is, right? And you always have like the those uh, high blood pressure moments where you never feel really safe in the game. Whereas when the Legion of Boom and the Seahawks defense was in its prime, 
I felt confident they would win 7-0 if that's all if that's all the Seahawks uh, offense scored out you know in an entire game and it came down to the final drive these guys got it they they showed time and time again that they would come up big in those tight spots and uh, very rarely did they let us down it, it inspired more confidence than anything that defense is definitely the way to go uh, and I like that they're getting back into that by drafting some of those players picking up some extra players um, because the Seahawks were at their best, it was just like you said, the Seahawks were at their best when that those back uh, those back guys, the DBs were just locking things down, um, and your front seven looks even better. It's a give and take, right? Your your CB, your DBs, and you know your corners and safeties look better when you have a really good front seven. The same could be said about the reverse. You give those that front seven even more time to get to the quarterback, makes them look even better. All of a sudden, these guys are playing off of each other, and the defense is looking really yeah, good. Completely agree. And you know, maybe maybe we're all kind of drinking the Kool Aid or have been indoctrinated by Pete Carroll. But oh yeah, me me personally, like I feel like I've had this football opinion well before that. It's just that it's like. I know that it's not the sexy brand of football and it's and it's especially not the way that football is going these days like it's more Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert like throwing the football around which is also why you should have good DBs cuz you need to play teams like that but like I I like to watch a football team that plays really good defense and runs the football and controls the clock and like I Again, I'm not trying to grandstand here, but like I have a great appreciation for a game that ends, you know, 16 to 10 because I understand why the Seahawks were able to like create that result. I get that your average fan these days, like especially the way that football has been made to play that it's like you want to see it be 38 to 35, but I think Pete Carroll's got something going here, and it is just going back to basics. That it's like they're going to run the football, and more so on my what of what I'm excited to see for the Seahawks is that like I think they're going to be really good defensively, specifically on the back end. And we play in 2023 NFL where you need to stop the pass. I think the Seahawks are going to should be well equipped to stop the pass this year, and like. That's what I'm excited to see. Yeah. I love I love it when you see a team that's really good at passing come into your house and they can't throw the ball. Like I don't care that it's a twelve to nine game, like whatever crooked score gets put up, that it's like that fucking gets me going because it's like, yeah, you're the best passing team in the NFL. Like I wanna see I wanna see these top quarterbacks come in and they can't throw the ball to Devin Witherspoon. They can't throw it to uh, reek wall and they can't throw it over the top because Quandre Diggs is going to pick it off like that's the kind of football that I want to watch so that's what I'm excited about is it like I think I think that defense is going to be super exciting and I think the guys up front they might be a little no name I guess but I think they're going to perform yeah. I think you're going to see that kind of performance from these guys that it's like everybody nobody has splashy numbers but they contribute to the whole and I'm excited to see that. Like everybody, everybody has eight sacks. Yeah, that's what I want to see. Is like everybody has consistent effort on the front, 
doesn't matter because the guys on the back end are just like taking care of everything. We want you to throw the ball. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. It's uh, it's a lot more fun watching watching these games uh, when you have confidence in your defense to get this, the big stop, and you don't need to rely on your offense scoring thirty, you know, thirty three, thirty four, five, six, seven, you know, points a game to get the win. I enjoyed watching the Seahawks a whole lot more in the in those previous years, but the defense is really good. And I, I don't know if it's just our mentality, you know, us guys in this room and a lot of the people that we watch football with that we like those defense-heavy games. But it's uh, it's definitely a lot more fun to watch. I'm looking forward to it. I hope that that's the way it turns out. I know they just re-signed Nuosu for a few mm-hmm. years, so he'll be good to have back. He had, what, ten and a half sacks or something last year. Um, just a, a solid guy that will be yeah. here for a few years to I think help us gr- along. That was a great move by the team. Yeah. Signing him and then signing him originally and then re-signing him. I think that's a good deal. Yeah, absolutely. So, who are you most excited for this Seahawks season? So, I guess I I got kind of a couple. It's not like it's not the sexiest pick because I feel like it's an obvious answer. But I'm excited to see what Geno does with those three receivers. Right? You got Lockett. You got Metcalf. You got Njigba. Uh, I'm excited to see what they can do with a true, like a guy who's supposed to be like a number one receiver, right? Uh, you put, you, you're sliding him into his spot. You now have what uh, I think most people wouldn't deny. You have three true number one receivers, hopefully. Uh, you can make a case for Metcalf and Lockett in any case, because they put up good numbers every year. Mo- any team would love to have a guy like either one of those guys. And then you have an explosive player coming out of college, joining in as the third receiver, who some of those guys, you know, talking about him, saying that he could he could be the best receiver on the team. You know, he's NFL ready. I, we'll see. I think so. Yeah, you, do, you, do you think so too? I think so. I mean, I watched Jackson Smith and Jigba a lot in college. I thought, I mean, we talked about this with, it was me and Nigel when we did the uh, draft, draft recap podcast, but I, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is... A bona fide star. Like he would he's just they do this with receivers every year. Is that after his sophomore year? I mean, he had four touchdowns in the Rose Bowl against Utah, and kind of similar to Marvin Harrison Jr.'s at Ohio State right now. Is that like he would have been the top wide receiver pick in that draft class, but he couldn't go, yeah. and then he missed the entire season because he was hurt. That it's like that guy's a stud. The Seahawks have spent, I don't know how many picks, I won't guess off the top of my head, a handful of picks now, like higher higher round picks on receivers to help pad out, you know, our receiving core outside of Metcalf and Lockett. And most of them have floundered. They've been stinkers. So we need to, we really need to see a guy that can come in and make plays as the third guy. Because most of the time, you know, your best your best DBs on the other end are covering those two guys. You need a guy that can make a play. Years, you know, years ago, we didn't have, like, the sexiest names on the, you know, in the NFL on our roster for the receiving end. But they were reliable. A guy like Curse coming in, being the third guy or the second guy, whatever it is. Say what you want about him. But he came up with balls. He's a dog. Yeah. Okay. He's a... <laughs> and, uh... We, we need to get back to that. It's none of the you know, sexiest names in the world, but they made plays, and we need to get back to that now instead of 
you know, trotting out guys with glass bones and paper skin who can't stay on the field, and it's not their fault, but the best ability, availability. It's like Nigel never left. (laughs) In the second best ability, uh, to catch the ball. And (laughs) and we need... uh, we need Njigba to do that, and, and I mean, you you know more a lot more about it. If you followed his career a lot more closely than I have, Luke, so you would have a better say on this. But I'm I'm glad to hear you say that you have that much confidence in him because we need it. I think I think the thing is, is that I don't even want to prop up Gino that much because I have been a little bit of a Gino hater in some regards here. But like, I do think that Jackson Smith and Jigba fits is a great pick and fits really well into this offense for the exact reason is that like some of the guys you've you didn't name them by name but like Paul Richardson or like other guys that they drafted in the past is that like don't want to be on the Russell Wilson hating bandwagon but I'm just going to repeat what I've said before in the podcast like that guy's an off schedule player who doesn't really run the offense the way that it needs to be and I'm not going to prop up Gino, but, like, that's what Gino does, though. And a guy like Smith and Jigba, that's the exact type of player that a guy like Gino needs, is you need to be on schedule. This guy will be open. In my mind, in my mind, it's a perfect fit. Like, this guy will be open. It's just like Ohio State football. Like, they can plug anybody in at quarterback because you need wide receivers that can be on schedule. You need a quarterback that can be on schedule, obviously. But... You need wide receivers that have athleticism, talent, ability to catch the ball, and ability to get open. And when you have three of them running different combination of routes, then it's really easy for the quarterback to just be like, oh, that's the guy that's open. And so I think it's a great fit. Yeah. Like, And I, like I said, I'm a little bit of a Geno hater, but that's where I'd say is that if you drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba and Russell as the quarterback, like why? Why? Like, why do you need a third wide receiver for a guy who can't hit his first target, like, when he's open? Like, his natural instinct is to run out of the pocket and try to make off-schedule plays. Like, I don't need Jackson Smith and Jigba to do that. Geno actually fits that prototype. It's like, I need a guy who can go get open in five yards of space. And that's what I, that's what Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to do for this team. Is be like... I know how to run the route tree. I know how to get open in short space, and I'm going to go do that. And then when Gino is ready to throw me the ball, I'm going to be open. I'm going to catch it, and then I can do something with it. So, like, I'm really excited about Jackson Smith and Jigba, what he can do to make Gino better. Yeah. Because, like I said, I'll still be a Gino hater, and, like, his ceiling is not as high as other people in the league. But I do think a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba – can get the most out of a guy like Gino because they know how they know how to run a system. They know how to get open and run the route tree and provide options. And then obviously Tyler Lockett also knows how to do that. DK is kind of a wild card, but he's a freak wild card. So I think all these guys play off really well off of what Gino can do talent wise. He's gonna and he's gonna have a ton of opportunities, I would assume, because. Who, who, who are you going to focus on as a defense? Usually they're key in on a guy like the star, right? He's probably going to get the most opportunities out of all three receivers. Because what do you, I mean, you're going to focus in on him and DK is going to burn right by you. Tyler Lockett catches damn near everything coming down his path. Those are the two guys. Those are the big names. They're going to focus in on those two. 
he's going to have opportunities for days because he's going to be working with the lower tier DBs, likely. I wouldn't be shocked if five weeks into the season, and this is maybe really bold, I wouldn't be shocked five weeks into the season that most teams are like, we need to spot stop Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yeah, I was going to... Because DK, like, I'm kind of a DK hater in some regards because, like, the dude don't have hands. <laughs> is it, like... I, I would think that it would be pretty... And this is why the Seahawks should be successful. But I think pretty quickly in the season is, like, we need to not worry about DK if we're a defense. Because Smith and Jigba will catch everything. And he'll catch it at all levels. DK... Kind of a non-factor, honestly, unless he's going over the top. And so we'll, like, put your guy out there to try to, like, put him on an island. But I wouldn't be surprised if Smith and Jigba is it. Much like Tyler Lockett is in some regards, and he's kind of slipped by for being, you know, underwhelming for a lot of his career. But I think Smith and Jigba will be the type of guy that five weeks into the season, like, no, we need to roll coverage his way because he will just be open every time if we don't cover him. Yeah, Shane, I was just going to agree with you, but adding a little bit more to it by saying that I think it's going to open opportunity for all three of those guys. Yeah. I think each week one of those guys is going to have a different opportunity because defenses are going to see one game, focus in on what was going on there, and then they can just comp- they have so many options now that you can just you can toss the ball around. And it's going to give everyone a chance to be able to put some yards up and get some touchdowns. I, I think it's going to be a really good system for the Seahawks. And like you said with Geno, it, it fits perfect for him. And, and so be it if uh, if Jackson Smith and Jigba becomes the guy. That's the best case if, scenario. If, if Tyler Lockett or, or Metcalf are able to run a little bit freer because they're zeroing in on him, so be it. We'll you take it. You know, yeah. take the chances where you can get it when you have like uh, like a a wealth of good receivers on your team. I let any, any one of them could be the star any week. And it doesn't matter as long as it keeps the teams like on their heels and they don't know who, you don't know who to cover. They're not zero in on. And I, I welcome him being the guy. If it's five, you know, five weeks in yeah. or whatever, it doesn't matter to me. Cause that just means that the other guys are running around free. Yeah. To be clear. Is it like, I think this is a really good thing for a guy like DK is that like, you you could just be that big time deep threat. That is what his game should be. He's so big and so fast that it's like guys like Tyler Lockett and Smith and Jigba are going to be underneath, like pulling coverage down towards the line. That it's like you're going to have one on one coverage going down the field. That is what you're best at because you could run by all of them. So like, I I do think it's a it should be a very exciting season. And Gino, I think, has his limitations. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to say he's going to look like that West Virginia quarterback that he was. But you have the, the you have these types of options out wide. It should create levels to your passing game that it's like, I have answers to every type of coverage because I ha- actually have the talent out there that can open things up. All I have to do is know where these pieces are moving. I know where the open guy is going to be. And if that's a shot down the field to DK one-on-one, we've, se- we've seen it already. That's a good option. He doesn't catch every single one of them, but it's always a good option when he's one-on-one down the sideline. He might have softer hands run down the sideline than he does like a 10-yard pass to his chest for some reason. 100%. 100%. <laughs> Luke. 
Tell us who your guy is that you're most excited for this Seahawks season. So I teased this on the draft episode, but rookie center Olu Oluwatimi out of Michigan. That is my who that I'm most excited to see. And like part of this is that I'm kind of repeating a little bit of what Nigel and I talked about in the draft preview is that fifth round pick out of Michigan, Remington Trophy winner, that's best center in college football, is that, like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know I've seen it before, is that, like, guys who win the Remington Trophy for best center, it's like, they have a pretty, like, sterling record for how they do in the NFL. And we got this guy in the fifth round. Wow. That, like, and it's a position of need for the Seahawks at center. Is that I, like... I, I feel like he is going to be that diamond in the rough type of draft pick that John Schneider kind of has made a career on. It's been up and down through the years, but I think Uotimi is going to be a guy. He's the guy that I'm excited to see because I think I have a lot of faith in the fact that he will go and take that center job. And much like, much like when a lot of people thought that the Seahawks were going to draft Creed Humphrey... Mm-hmm. And then they didn't, and now and now he's the center for the Chiefs and has been really good. Is that I feel like, in my mind, it's probably wishful thinking, but I'm hoping that this will be their redemption tour. Is it like by the end of this football season, and definitely by the end of next football season, be like, Olutimi is one of the best centers in the NFL. He's very consistent. Like the the position does require a lot but at the end of the day it requires a lot of consistency and i think this is what his college career has shown and that's why he got the reward or award for being the best center in the country is it like this guy just he plays and he's a good player and a lot of times that's what you need and i think that's a guy who i'm excited to see it's not the sexiest pick you know it's not jackson smith and jigba but like this is what the Seahawks team needs, is a center that can be a guy for you for the next four years and just be, he doesn't need to be the best, but he needs to be a top 10 or top 5 player, and I think that's what he's going to be. That's my bold prediction. It's uh, It comes at a really good time, too, as center has been a position of need for the Seahawks for a little while now. And I worried a little bit going into the draft in the season that we were going to get the same center play that we got the last couple of years. But Christmas came a little early, uh, Austin Blythe retiring, opening up the way for Olutimi. Uh, I probably butchered that. but uh, I'm probably butchering it too. I think it's Olutimi. <laughs> Olutimi. Uh, kind of opened up the path for him to come in and be the guy, right? And what we've seen over the last you know handful of years from the Seahawks is that center play has been dog shit. And we need a guy that can come in here. He can't play too much worse than what we've seen recently. Guy, you know, undersized guys coming in to play center for the Seahawks kind of just get bowled over by Aaron Donald and company. Uh, we need a guy, you know, a guy that can come in here and kind of shore up the, the, the O-line from the front end there. And I mean, everything starts with the center, you know, and then it ends with the tackles. And if this, if this guy is as good as, you know, advertised and you're giving them some pretty good props here. I hope He's a fifth round pick, yeah. so like how does temper that, but 
I, I did say this like in the draft uh, preview or post view, and you kind of touch on this, is that this is what I like about him, and I hope that he's the guy, is that you drafted uh, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, and you have two tackles. And in my mind, is that if you're if you're trying to construct an offensive line, then really in my mind, the third piece is at center. Yep. So if, if he can be that guy, then you have this young nucleus of offensive linemen that are under club control for a few years. Like you can find guards and whether it's Damian Lewis or whoever else, like you can pick up guys, but like if you have the center spot locked down and then your tackles, like that is the type of offensive line that you want to construct. Young, talented guys. Like I said, he's a fifth-round pick. I still think this is my bold projection is that, I mean, we had Witherspoon, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. This is my very bold take. I think Ulu team, you might be the type of guy that when we look back at this draft class, be like, this is why it was a great draft class. We all respect the top-end picks, like, Five and twenty, but you got a guy in the fifth round that is an all-pro center. Like that is how that is how you propel your team to a Super Bowl team. And it's where the Seahawks have you know made their bread right in those later rounds. It's uh, it's when when we go back, people talk about the Seahawks drafts and the ones that are usually considered to be the best. Aside from a couple here where you have like guys guys like Earl Thomas that work out really well in the first round. It's those guys in the fifth and sixth rounds, those later rounds, four, five, six, where people look back and say, that was an amazing draft class. Look at look at the productivity that they got out of these guys. You know, John Schneider and Pete Carroll have an eye for talent, and uh, I, hopefully that's where this one kind of goes here with, you know, a starting center that can be solid, holding, you know, anchoring the position right up front there for the, uh, for the boys outside, and then we got a couple of meat bags in between them to uh, hold the line. Uh, hopefully we get better results out of that for our guards. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. It definitely starts with the center and the tackles, and anything after that is just gravy. Yeah, I said it's a, it's a bold projection, but I like it. I feel confident about it. Coming your way, Minnesota invades San Francisco Bay. We gotta get ready, we gotta get right. The Vikings and Niners get it on tonight. All right, boys, let's go ahead and uh, do one more segment, a little fun segment called Buy or Sell. I'm gonna read you guys off some players for this year's NFL uh, fantasy football. And I'm going to ask you this. Are they bouncing back this season? So these are some bounce back players. So basically, are you buying that they're going to be a bounce back player that has a quality season? Or are you selling the idea that they are who they were last year? So let's go ahead and start this off with Kyle Pitts. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough one. You know what? Uh, I'm going a little rogue here. I'm selling the... Uh, He's a bum. The Falcons are bums. 
All he's done is uh, get a ton of targets, more so than you would think, and not be able to do anything with them. Every year that, uh, you know, over the past couple of seasons he's been drafted, all the people that have drafted him talk about what a disappointment he is. Uh, I'm going to say he continues on that trend because Atlanta isn't a very good team. Luke, before you answer, for perspective, he is ranked as the number five tight end in fantasy so far going yeah. into the draft. Yeah, that, honestly, that was going to be my question, and I'm glad you said it before. Yeah, I'll buy on that, honestly. It's because he was probably overdrafted last year, but I, I do think that he's still one of the most talented players of the position, and... I assume that Desmond Ritter is going to be the quarterback this year for Atlanta. And so that would ideally be checked down city to him. As the fifth tight end, yeah, I buy on that. If it was like basically anything higher than that, I'd probably be in Chains Camp and sell. But yeah, I'll, I'll buy on I'll buy on fifth tight end. All right, Luke, we're going right back to you. We'll go back and forth here. J.K. Dobbins. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Wow. History. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, history. You're I set really, that one up. Yeah, you're really striking a nerve. Ranked wow. as the 17th running back off the board. I'd still buy J.K. Dobbins. I'm a, I, I think J.K. Dobbins is honestly one of the most talented running backs in the league, so I'd probably buy I'd probably buy on him. Cause I mean it's a run first it's a run first team. His health is the only question I have. N- none of the questions I have about him is talent related or usage related. It's just health. But I think he was healthy the end of the season and played the whole back end of the season. I as far as I know, he's not hurt. Maybe, maybe he tears his ACL in uh, week two of the preseason, like when I had him as a keeper. But <laughs> yeah, but I'm not bitter about that. But I'd buy on J.K. Dobbins. I'll take him at 17th running back. Yeah, uh, I think I sell on. I'm selling on him. Uh, he is the second best running back in Baltimore after Lamar Jackson, and uh, they just picked up Odell. I think they're going to sling the ball a little bit more, even more than uh, normal. But uh, I think that the lion's share of carries still go to Lamar. Uh, I'd be curious to see what direction their offense goes this year. But uh, no, I, I, I think with his injury history and uh, Luke's complaints with him last year, I think I'm, I'm over him. Yeah, my only counter to that is that uh, everything you just said in my mind says more red zone carries. Could be. And he is an effective red zone carrier. More so than Lamar. Like, Lamar doesn't honestly run in that many touchdowns. Like, in my mind, maybe I'm wrong. I don't have the stats in front of me. But compared to Jalen Hurts. Definitely not uh, red zone. Lamar's uh, touchdowns end up being, like, 40 yards. Yeah. But I'm just saying, it's like, you you add a guy like Odell in there. You hope that they get to the red zone more. And then J.K. Dobbins is actually a pretty effective red zone player. Is he is he slated to be the starting running back for Baltimore? Yeah, I believe so. Sell. So. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, right back to you. Jerry Judy, currently ranked as the number twenty-two wide receiver off the board. Two hundred twenty-two. Yeah. No, twenty-two. Two two. Two hundred twenty-two. Did, did did Sutton die? 
Number two, two. Huh. Uh, yeah, sell. <laughs> they're, uh, I mean, I, I have no doubt that their uh, offense is going to be, goddamn, being so negative, I haven't bought a single person yet. Uh, I have no doubt that their offense is going to be better under Sean Payton. I don't even think he's the best receiver on their team. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, I think Maddie had him last year. He did jack shit, which, I mean, that's more of like the, the team itself wasn't really doing anything. Uh, I don't like him as being their number one option. Uh, I think they've uh, got a better player on their team. Uh, I'm probably blanking on his name. Is it Cortland Sutton? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's right there with yeah, them. Yeah, I'd, call, I'd say he was the better option, but I believe he got hurt last year, so maybe that's going to open up some opportunity for him. I still don't. I, I'm going to need to see more out of Russell and the Broncos offense before I go about picking up him at uh, – go go about picking up Jerry Judy. But, so I'd say so. Are you curious where Cortland Sutton sits right now? Kind of. 43. He's coming off an injury, so maybe that's why. I think I think the Jerry Judy number is sitting on the fact that Sean Payton is the coach now. Yeah. Um, I would agree with you. I would sell on that. Is that like I do like Jerry Judy. I actually very much respect his ability as a receiver, and I do think that twenty-two is probably an appropriate number for his talent level versus everybody in the field because I do think that he is a very good talented wide receiver I just don't until I see it I don't believe that I wouldn't take him that high I had first thought that you had said 22nd overall which is why I said sell now knowing that you said 22nd overall receiver right yeah okay. everything's based yeah. off of their position okay yeah position sorry right. I misheard you uh so with that in mind uh I said <laughs> yeah Next. I, I gotta I gotta see, I gotta see something from this team but could be could be a high value pick though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, could if, be if, if, if Sean Pay- if Sean Payton turns the ship around, and could be a could be a big time win on that pick. But I'm selling. Buy or sell, Luke Debo. I'm a fucking. I've had Debo the last two years. He was my keeper <laughs> last year. That's a buy on Debo. Where they, like where they have him. They have him ranked as 16th in wide receivers. Buy. Bye. Last year he finished as wide receiver thirty-two. I don't care about that. He, I, I had Debo on my team last year, and, and fair warning, my team was not very good. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, good but Debo was good. Like, I mean, I think at some point, like you always have to temper like high ceiling, low floor. Debo, Debo is just as liable to get you like 30 points in any week. Actually, his floor is not that low though. So like, especially when he runs, especially when he runs the ball, is it like he'll get you 10 points or he'll get you 30? I'm surprised that they haven't ranked that poorly. But I guess, I guess if you consider that they have Christian McCaffrey now for the entire season, there's something. But I buy on Debo. Like I like Debo. He he scores. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm surprised at his ranking. I think that the addition of Christian McCaffrey helps open up him a little bit for more opportunities. Like, you don't know which one of them is going to get the ball. Uh, and he's also a star receiver. You know, he's, he's going to be a star receiver. Uh, they When they line him up in the backfield like that, I think it creates problems. 
so that being said, I'd say I would say buy. Uh, I think Debo is going to be awesome, but as a 49ers hater, I say sell. So <laughs> I, could, it's a toss up, really. I'll counter slightly in, on what you said is that even when uh, what's his nuts uh, Brock Purdy went in there is that his target numbers went down. I feel like a lot. They're like, but like, I get why they rank him in that way because his targets week to week are not consistent at all. And I know this because I've had him on my team the last two seasons. Is it like some weeks he'll get, you know, 12 or 14 targets and get eight catches. And obviously if he has eight catches, that's going to be a lot of yards and probably a touchdown. But there's some weeks where he only gets like two catches and he gets like six carries for like 60 yards and a touchdown. So yeah. he, it, he still salvages it. But his his usage rate as a wide receiver is like wildly inconsistent. But I'd still buy on him, yeah. especially at that ranking that you're telling me. Is that I'd always I'd always want to draft him if he's available because he's multifaceted. Yeah. Objectively, I'm buying. As a 49er hater, I'm selling. All right, last year's 2022 finish of running back 32, currently sitting as running back, except, sorry, overall pick number seven, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, uh, so I know, I believe it was Alex who had him last year, so I got to hear the, I got to hear the pain. As the first through. overall pick. Yeah. And then what do they have him at now? So he is number four in his position overall. He's a first round pick projected currently at number seven. I think that the talent is undeniable from what we saw from him uh, in his previous year. I think that I, I, I wouldn't take him first overall, but I think at his slot, if he's available uh, at four, I think you said? Seven. Or seven, excuse me. Uh, if he's there at seven, I buy. Uh, they've got a young quarterback now who's uh, AR-13 and uh, AR-15 uh, or Gardner Minshew I was going to say Minshew's probably going to be starting week one right you think I think most think that I think regardless of who's starting he's their bell cow and I think he's going to get a lot of carries again I mean he's their guy they're probably going to run him into the ground uh, seven, I say bye. I like. I still think the talent is there. I think the Colts will be improved as uh, compared to what they were last year, and I think he. I think he still ends up a, a top finisher for running backs. Yeah, I'm buying at seven, especially last year. Honestly, like less mileage, less mileage by him being hurt last year is that I think I think he'll be fine and. Honestly, Gardner Minshew, you know, he's a cougar, but I like him. He's good. He's a good player. I think I think he adds something to that team. And if they get AR15 in there, then they might have a really dynamic running game, yeah. but the guy's talented. At 7, I'll buy on that. Like if he if he's around oh, 7, yeah. but I guess it always depends on who's available. That's the thing is that those first round picks are tough because maybe maybe if somebody else is available at seven, but let's say Jonathan Taylor, fantasy aside, I'm buying on him this year. I think he's gonna have a good year. 
And then the last one we have, I'll have you guys take a guess who it is. Last year in 2022, he finished as QB 17. Today, he ranks as QB 17 off the board. Buy or sell Russell Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Sell. (laughs) Well, I said before, this is it. Um, Honestly, nobody should... Anything that I've said fantasy related, you should take the opposite (laughs) approach on. But I think... I think... I've I've tried to implement a strategy a lot a lot of the times the last few years of kind of being like I'll find a quarterback and Russell Wilson kind of falls in that camp I guess he's at 17 you know you play in a 12 person league that means he's not a top 12 quarterback so you would sell on that but he could have the potential to be a top 10 top 5 you never know fantasy always projections don't really mean everything Right, but yeah, I guess I'd. Yeah, I guess I, you make a good argument that that would be the perfect type of person to buy on because they're ranked at 17, and if he plays well, he could find himself in the top 10 or 8 pretty easily, or top 5. You get him in one of the last rounds of the draft, no one else is thinking about him. Yeah, I'd still sell on him. <laughs> I'd still sell on him. I'd rather I'd rather take I don't know. Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Bryce Young. Yeah. Uh, as much as it pains me to say this, I think at seventeen, if you sneak him out in like a late round, I don't think he can play worse than he played last year. Uh I, I mean that remains to be seen, but I don't, I don't think he'll play worse than last year. I think that the team will be improved under Sean Payton. Uh, but I wouldn't take him as, you know, I wouldn't take him as a top, top 12 tip pick, but I would take him at 17 because that's a late round pick. If you're looking to like even at, take the quarterback at the end and you're looking to really round out your team with a guy that has a high ceiling because we've seen it in previous years where he's a high point getter for fantasy. I think it's 17 in a late round. Yeah, I, I, I buy on it. Okay. I have one more question for you guys, a little off topic with fantasy football. Uh, it might be a personal question going into your uh, your strategy this year with the draft coming up. But round one, are you guys going to try to go running back or wide receiver? I think that's going to completely depend on where my yep. pick falls at. Let's just say you're right in the middle of the, of the draft. It's, it's Depends on who's available, I suppose. Depends on who's available, but if if I'm at six, if I'm at six in a certified starting running back, he's not, you know, there's no committee bullshit going on here. He's the bell cow, and it's on a team that uses run. Uh, I think you. Let me think uh, off the top of my head. Who who we got for bell cow running backs? Derrick well, Henry. Well, we already said it before. Is that like. Jonathan Taylor would yeah. be the prime pick that to be at six or seven. Yeah. yeah. So you got those guys like Derrick Henry. Here, let me give you a yeah, little perspective. Yeah. So let's say let's say you're sitting at like the seventh pick. Let's let's call it seventh because this is where it could really fall into for this question. Around that range, you're looking at Jonathan Taylor, Bijan Robinson, or like a Cooper Cup. What are you thinking about, like, with those... Like, if you had those three, you're kind of looking at... I... 
I, this is such a tough call because I'm wrong every time. So let me <laughs> let, let me go ahead and uh, tell you how you should do this. Is I feel like in the way that our league plays out, because we're not PPR, mm-hmm. my first instinct is you need to get a good running back. Because running backs still are the highest scores in our point format. And there's so few of them that are actually bell cows, like you said, that it's like, it's like you can find guys that play wide receiver that can get you numbers. There's only like a handful of guys that actually get the 20 carries a game. So if you have the opportunity to draft a running back that is going to get 20 carries a game, yeah, I probably want B. John Robinson. <laughs> the wealth of wide receivers who will get you points on every on every team is far and away outnumbering the amount of running backs that are reliable and get those, you know, 20 totes, whatever it may be, a mixture of 10, 15 totes and, you know, five, five, seven uh, receptions. I think if you're in a top six, top seven position, if one of those guys is available, you take them every time. Uh, and then you take their handcuff later on. Because with uh, with all those totes comes a lot of contact. Make sure you pick up uh, whoever, their, whoever their backup is. And uh, I'd say run with it. You can always pick up uh, wide receivers later if you're in one of those back-end picks. And you're thinking, well, do I want to take this guy who may not be the bell cow, but he is a starting running back? You take Cooper Cup instead, you take Devontae Adams, you take one of these top-tier receivers who you know are going to, Justin Jefferson, who are going to get you points, pick him up on the way back. Plus, rookie receivers these days, like, where a diamond does, and, yeah. like, you can find a receiver. Top-end receivers, hard to replace. Like, guys like Justin Jefferson, they can score you 30 points. Like, you got to have those guys, but... Definitely based off of the scoring system that our league plays off of with no PPR, you you need a running back. So if there's a guy that you feel confident is going to get 20 carries a game, you kind of have to take him. That's how I look at it, but I lose every year. (laughs) So take that as you will. Sorry, last question. Two-word answer. Just give me a two-word answer. You're the number one overall pick. Christian McCaffrey... Or Justin Jefferson. With all that said, which one? <laughs> God, do you take Christian the, McCaffrey? Golly, you take the guy who I had a breaks every year, or the best receiver in the NFL. Uh, give me McCaffrey. <laughs> and we're signing off. Yeah, boys, good show. A lot of good football talk. Uh, for all your fantasy needs, make sure to hit up uh, Lucas Clark over here. He'll help you out. He'll get you a championship team. You can subscribe to his uh, his fantasy uh, blog consultancy, and uh, he'll make sure to get you a dub. Shane, thanks again for joining us. It's always good to have you on. Hopefully, we can keep this going. Don't know about three cooks in the kitchen, but we'll see what happens. We're signing off. See you.